Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer with Gene Galvin and me, I am Maria Corelli. We are recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience here in Folk School Coffee Parlor of Ludlow, Kentucky. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Jerry Springer! Jerry! Thank you, thank you. No, whoa, whoa! <laughs> and up in the balcony, thank you, thank you. I put oh, on my, my best face for this, and I showed is energy your, as we announced, this, uh, there's is, Jerry, and I'm like, yeah, Jerry, but i tell you what. Is this your best face? Yeah, that's my best this face. This is the one you put on? This is oh. the one I put on. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, no. Get some, I'm really pissed off about something, Why? and frankly, I'm pissed off at every, almost everybody in this room. Why? I do. I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit, like the Wizard of Oz, I'm gonna, the people who listen to this show are going to learn that I am Gene Galvin. I am the executive producer. I'm not a producer. I'm the executive producer. So I am not only the person that produces the podcast, I am the boss of the other producers of the podcast. And we don't have any other. And I wanted to say this. As part of my task, because I know how to produce, and there's a thing in the radio business is where it came from called a rundown and for you listeners a rundown is a roadmap an outline if you will of the episode i am the one that creates the rundown and i am the one that determines where this podcast and an episode is going to go and it is my highest level of creativity when i sit down to do the rundown i did a rundown for this show and i want to read you the audience what i wrote in the rundown, it says, you know, we open with blah, 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 tease Jerry's, blah, blah, the mute Ricky Nye is going to be on. We love Ricky Nye, by the way. We've had him on some previous shows. Here for Ricky Nye. Yeah. And then my audience, it says this. Then we do a short interview with former senator and presidential candidate Robert Kennedy. He's in town for a special fundraiser for his family's charity. What? He'll be at the coffee shop in person, and we'll do it live from the performer's mic. That's what I wrote in the rundown. <laughs> now, Robert what? Kennedy was assassinated in 1968 when he was a 52 candidate. 52 years ago. 52 years ago. Well, what? You wrote that down? That. And I'm going to tell you why I wrote that down, Jerry Springer. I wrote it down because it came to my attention. I'm not a stupid man. Let's don't make that the topic. We got a topic, Lewis. We don't need to make that the topic. Okay, so I wrote this in the rundown and sent it out. Now, surely Is this someone would have called me Someone would have texted me, emailed me, or even possibly came to my home to check in to see if I was all right, having written that. Bobby Kennedy is not coming tonight because Bobby Kennedy is in heaven. So this proves that nobody on this entire complex production team (laughs) reads the goddamn rundowns. Is this? If they read the rundown, somebody would have contacted me. And you do this every week? You I do this? it every week. <laughs> We're supposed to be reading these? I send them out, Maria. I, I plan is- them. I, I 
Text them. I email them. Well, how does Catfish, the owner of Folk School Kentucky, come on over to the microphone for a second. <laughs> yeah. That's this what this is, is. He sends these every week. That's what these pieces of paper are. But what has this got to do with the show we do? Catfish, did you read the rundown? I... I did read the rundown after Dave called me. Dave reads the rundown. Uh, I do read them. I don't pay attention to them. Well, that's just I, as I, bad. I read them. And why don't you pay attention to them? I, I just don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. You don't trust I don't know them. how to take you. Jamin, Jamin, that is a luthier here at the shop. Yes. I told him about it because... Dave wanted another table out here. We changed the whole layout of the podcast today. Well, because look at this. What's the point of reading it? Here, these are like the last four weeks. Uh, show one, open with teases of Jerry's rant and our musical guest. Right. Uh, and then something, and then Jerry's rant, to be determined. Musical <laughs> guest, to be determined. Show two, open with teases of Jerry's rant and our musical guest. <laughs> Jerry's rant to be determined. <laughs> Musical guest to be determined. Show three, open with teasers. Everything is exactly, this is all boilerplate. <laughs> and you're the EP? <laughs> the EP. That, that's abbreviated for executive Could producer. you bring in the other producers that you are over? Well, at tomorrow's I'd staff like to meeting, I'll discuss that. <laughs> yeah. It's usually done over the phone, but oh. I'll see if I can arrange that. Okay. I want to make a plea no, but it's a very nice. to the listening audience. Yes. Would one of you please send me an email so I can read it on the air? <laughs> I am accused of reading emails on the air that I have written. Yes. I Can't have. I get one damn email that's <laughs> legitimate? Send an email okay. to gene at jerryspringer.com. Okay. Now, gene is, I think the problem is they, they write it, Maria, G-E-N-E at Jerry Springer. No, it's J-E-N-E. Mm. So let's get the spelling straight. Otherwise, it goes into spam or to email hell oh, or something. Oh, yeah. that is the reason we don't ever get an email. Must be. Yeah. It must be. I was wondering. That damn spam. Okay, yeah. so, and, and, and this is just a moment of sheer honesty here. We, <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. We've been friends for a long 50 time. 50 years. 50 yeah. years. Nothing ever good comes after that. When they say this is just going to be just honest, Okay, nothing's good coming. Have we ever yes. received an email? <laughs> we got... <laughs> not, not how many do we get a week, or how many do you we really got... answer... How many do you read? We got Simple one. question. We got one from Sean <laughs> Joseph Subaru. One from Sean at Joseph Subaru in Florence, Kentucky, thanking me for the shout out. We got that. Yeah. And that we is got the that. deal that you, uh, that you bought. Where I bought a car, yes. You bought a car from this dealer that you yes. mentioned all it's the time. It's a little sketchy as to whether I got a deal because of all these mentions. Yeah. That's a little foggy, because it's, it's like the fog of war. You know, I don't know. You know, yeah. those negotiations are. What's the word for that? Uh, with, with, when they did in radio with a P. Payola. Payola. <laughs> I got nothing for it. They're oh, just yeah. good people. Yeah, yeah. I rode in nothing on the way. Yeah, over no, it's a nice car actually. <laughs> a very nice car. It's a nice car you got. Um, yeah. By the way, uh, 
And looking at, since we're still in this political climate, particularly this uh, primary election climate, and we have people like, and I'm going to rattle off a couple names here, and I think the commonality is they've got a lot of money. Uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Uh, Steyer was another. Wasn't Schultz another one? Uh, yeah, the Starbucks. guy who uh, and up the Starbucks. Right. So uh, they were accused by some, for sure, accused by some, as trying to buy an election. So they just came in with more money than anyone else could raise. Although Bernie Sanders has raised a huge amount of money, $18 per donation. That is pretty stunning right there. But anyway, what's your take on these uh, men or women that happens to be three guys of trying to, as some would say, buy elections? Yeah, my response would be a little perhaps different than you would expect. Uh, First of all, just a matter of disclosure, um, when the campaign first started, uh, my first choice was Kamala Harris, and then I went to Cory Booker, and then I got down to, in my mind, choosing between uh, Pete Buttigieg and uh, Michael Bloomberg. And let me talk about Michael Bloomberg for a second, because he was clearly the one who obviously spent the most money, um, amounts that couldn't even conceive of a few years ago, and uh, and also had the most significant impact in terms of any of the billionaires. But my, I really was thinking of supporting him, and uh, and I'll give you some reasons why, and then why in the end... It didn't work. Uh, I still believe to this day he clearly was the most qualified uh, to be a president. And uh, he was three-term mayor of New York. That's 12 years in what is, and hardly anyone disputes it, next to president, it is the toughest political job in America for an elected official. When you are mayor of New York, you are basically in any president of a nation because not just the vast population of New York, but also the, uh, the multicultural part of it. There are, what, 80 nationalities in New York City. And uh, it's like when you had a city council meeting preside over that, it's like presiding over the U.N., so all the issues you are constantly dealing with, you even have to have a foreign policy because you're dealing with the United Nations there, you're dealing with 9-11. He came in and basically rebuilt New York after the psychological and economic hit that the city took after 9-11. So whatever you think of the concept of spending all that money and doing that, no one could seriously say this man couldn't have stepped into the White House on day one and know how to run something which is a nation. Uh, he would clearly, You may not agree with all the issues, but certainly his competence was, was indisputable. And with what's going on now with the coronavirus and the absolute incompetence of our government and of our president and the embarrassment of having him as president... Um, 
Imagine if we had a president who knew what he was doing in a crisis such as this. So he's a perfect manager, and unlike Trump, you know, well, he, he's a billionaire, but beyond that, he made his money honestly. You know, there's no corruption involved with him. And he... Uh, the argument against him is the first you heard was that he's buying the election. Well, let me start off with this. You cannot buy an election. I mean, we had Schultz from Starbucks, Steyer, and Bloomberg, and if that isn't evidence, after he spent half a billion dollars, $500 million, um, Bloomberg did, and, and still didn't win, it's, it's obvious you can't buy an election. What you can buy is recognition. You can buy attention. You can buy all the commercials and buy your organization. But in the end, you can spend all that money to get people to look at you, say, hey, look at me, I'm running, here's what I stand for, etc. That you can buy. But the danger in saying, please look at me, is that people did look at Bloomberg and they didn't like what they saw. So can money corrupt politics? Absolutely. But the corruption is not in the election. In today's world of social media, of the regular media, it is virtually impossible to buy an election. Where the corruption comes in is you can buy a politician once that politician is in office. That's where the money gets to be dangerous because if you've got all these huge contributors or whatever and you spend all this money on the election, you're going to feel some obligation once you're in office, implied or otherwise, that you're going to follow through on what your contributors wanted. That's where the corruption comes in. So when Bloomberg spent that money, it was too early to talk about corruption. And secondly, everything he was spending was his own money. So there was no one that had any influence on him, no particular interest group that would have any hold on him. He clearly was independent and incorruptible, as is Bernie Sanders. He had all the money he needed, but everyone gave small amounts so that no one would have a hold on him. So to that extent, if that is the issue of undue influence, Bernie and Bloomberg have the same, are in the same position. Neither one was owned because of the issue of money. So then, if money can't buy an election, where are the ethics involved here? And I believe that he lost because people took a look and two things happened. He lost because he had a horrible debate 
performance. So everybody looked, and they really did look, because up until that debate, he was really doing well in most states. He was a serious contender. And so everyone said, ooh, I see all these commercials, all these ads, I know of his record, let's take a look. And they took a look, and they saw a guy that... Now, I would argue that your ability to debate is totally irrelevant to being president. But nevertheless, that's what the public thought, and that made him unelectable. But there was a substantive issue why he lost, and I think that's okay. His position in stop and frisk is untenable, particularly in the Democratic Party. And so he lost in the end for a legitimate reason, I would argue, but not for the reasons that are given and the other candidates were talking about. He's buying the election. He's buying the election. They were only saying that because it, he, it, they thought it would hurt their chances of being. But he wasn't buying an election. And we should understand because we're going to continue. Until you get money out of politics, which means money out of the influence of politicians once they're in office, that's the issue. Not how much money you put into a campaign. But unless you have legislation, unless you do away with Citizens United, get a new Supreme Court decision, we got to get away from saying just because you're going to get someone who spends a lot of money to get known, because we always vote for someone who's known. You, it used to be that you were a military hero. We went through the whole 19th century with most of our presidents being people that had a military history. And even in the 20th century, Eisenhower, Kennedy, people would run for office because they would talk about their military heroism. 